This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on that power bill, using technology wisely, and living a more sustainable life. I'm Tim Eccles, the host of Energy Matters, with my co-host back in our beloved studio, Casey Boyce. Great to have you. Yeah, it's great to be here, Tim. And we've got another great show talking about solar and co-ops. We've got our guest today here, uh, Jeff Pratt with Green Power EMC. Welcome. Thank you. Very glad to be here, both of you, and uh, excited to be here and and contribute to your show. Hey, Jeff, I remember the first time that we met, uh, I was doing the Solar Express in August of 2011. I had rented the Sam Shortline excursion train that went from Veteran State Park uh, in America's Georgia on over to Plains. We outfitted one of the cars. All the tables and chairs were taken out of one of the cars, and we made it a rolling solar trade show and i know people had to think i was crazy when we did that but you were there at at that at that solar express i mean did you think i had lost my mind no but uh i did think that that there was a future in this and that we ought to be a part of uh learning more together about how to deploy solar in georgia and find new ways of doing it so i think we were just starting to explore these opportunities together tim it was really the genesis for my clean energy Roadshow too that we have done every single year uh since 2011 and you know we took that train we stopped at that little telephone museum in leslie georgia and if folks have never seen it it is a smithsonian quality telephone museum in the middle of nowhere went on to plains and went to jimmy carter's grade school where we did uh, a couple hours of a seminar uh, and then headed back. But there was a lot of interaction that day from solar uh, developers and policymakers and others on that train of all places. There was. It was a lot of thought leaders in Georgia around solar. And what was uh, exciting is many of those uh, individuals are still a part of the community today in, in Georgia and we're uh, still work with them many times. It's really nice to see the history that really you started in that particular point in time. Casey, I used the train because at the time I was really kind of pushing for a re- vitalization of the old Nancy Hanks route that Mm. went from Atlanta to Savannah. I mean, the tracks are still there. They're in bad condition. But I had hoped that we might be able to resurrect passenger rail service. It's not going to happen. I don't think certainly not going to happen to Savannah. Maybe we do get some high speed thing from Atlanta to Chattanooga on up to D.C. or Atlanta to Charlotte on up to D.C. But that's why I brought the train in. Oh, very cool. Well, I mean, it definitely there's a lot of rail infrastructure in Georgia um, and there's a lot of land uh, that's available. So it's interesting thinking about kind of how do we build the infrastructure of the future, right? Like like you're doing, Jeff, with solar, using some of that land that's available. South Georgia is a great place to put uh, solar energy. And in fact, Tim, you might recall in that telephone museum, there is one of the first commercially used solar f- panels uh, that Bell South put in uh, for the telephone uh, part. And that really impressed me as an engineer. It impressed me that Georgia really has a long history in 
renewable energy even starting back in the 50s yeah that bell labs original solar panel is sitting there casey and i was just told by bill nussie the other day that the first three doe solar awards million dollar solar awards went to atlantans you know Uh, it's crazy tim because you know i work across the country and even some internationally and people don't think of georgia as an energy powerhouse but think about that history that you guys just shared right the first solar panel the first three doe grants on solar think about our infrastructure right now not just the solar panels that we've installed and i think we're a top 10 state nationally right tim in terms of uh, solar capacity yeah and i'm told uh by 2024 that we will be number four Uh, I don't know that we'll ever catch California. Uh, I I just don't think it's possible. They've got a different structure. But, I mean, Jeff, we're making phenomenal progress. You know, and what's fascinating about that is that we're doing it without a lot of the mandates and and significant sledgehammer policy that has – that's really pushed solar in other states and we're doing it really on market conditions alone and trying to do the right thing and establish uh, a good interaction with our customers and members so tim I, I think before we get further into this conversation it'd be helpful particularly for new listeners to kind of understand the different utilities in georgia so tim you're you're a commissioner on the public service commission um, you regulate georgia power which is an investor-owned utility right, right? and there are also municipal utilities like you know city of marietta um, or griffin um, that are owned by the city and then there are the emcs jeff what's the history of the emcs well interesting enough thinking about history and the co-ops uh, the co-op founding in the country really happened for electric utilities happened in the state of georgia with franklin Delano roosevelt in the new deal he recognized down in Warm Springs area that there was not a lot of electricity in those rural areas. And what an opportunity he started creating in recognizing that rural communities needed electricity to create economic development opportunities and to help bring uh, the society out of uh, uh, really what was a, a difficult time in our nation. So that was the genesis. That's where we have farmers who need electricity in the rural areas and they they formed cooperatives together with some low interest loans from the federal government at that time that helped create uh, a electric infrastructure that uh, is unsurpassed. Uh, it's, it's probably one of the biggest economic drivers that for this country that we've done in many, many years. Casey, this is case in point of why communities need to invite elected officials from Atlanta or other places, no matter where you're listening here. You may be cynical about politics, but I'm telling you, getting the officials, their eyes, their ears, their body in your location and seeing the unique challenges that you have often can result in a change in public policy. We saw this happen on Jekyll Island with Governor Deal as he went down there and saw the erosion happening on the north end of the island, and he authorized through his emergency fund all of those large boulders the Mm. armor that's helping to slow erosion at the north end of that island he saw the dilapidated 4-h camp and invested in that 4-h camp which will serve children and teens for decades to come there is value in getting these officials into these locales absolutely and and i would say more broadly 
there is value for people going to different locales. I mean, Jeff, you travel around the state working with with co-ops. So I'm sure you see this as well. But, you know, for someone in Atlanta to go spend some time on the Golden Isles, right, or to go spend time in South Georgia and vice versa so that we all really get to understand one another better and bring some of those creative ideas to the table as to how do we improve our state? You know, things like the the uh, Sapelo Island Library Solar Project that you did, Tim, you know, th- those kinds of things are what make us great. And it's it's that interconnection with other Georgians that's really helpful there. Jeff, I, I bet there's a lot of Georgians. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess 95% of Georgians have never been to Jeff Davis County in Hazelhurst where Green Power EMC has enormous amount of solar. You're right, Tim. That's, I, I know they haven't. There's not you know, a lot of compelling reasons to go there every day that an, an Atlantean might would notice without uh, you know doing some traveling or getting off the beaten path. But Jeff Davis County has an enormous amount of solar. I, with our first project there, which was only uh, less than 10% of what's there today, the, we were the largest taxpayer in the county, largest single taxpayer, and, and it has grown more than 10 times. Casey, this is what I'm seeing and hearing, and this is why Republicans, I believe, have come around on solar, is that the tax digest of so many counties in Georgia they they've been bolstered as a result of this solar why why is that what what is magic about about solar and inverters well you know they're capital assets right so it's more than just fallow land or even agricultural land they're producing value every time the sun shines and so it does provide that tax base and i've I've heard from a lot of folks in uh, rural parts of georgia that it has made a big difference to that tax digest in terms of their ability to provide services to their their citizens jeff just a couple of minutes left in this segment but most of these emcs are in rural areas aren't they oh, about of the 30 or 41 cooperatives in the state of georgia electric cooperatives uh, only 10 around metro atlanta that i would call suburban or um, moderately urban but you the rest of those co-ops and over half of the of the population that we serve are in some of the least populated and most impoverished parts of the state i think about hancock county uh, which is down kind of in the middle of the state, Sparta's the capital uh, uh, county seat. I think about it, the adjoining county, Washington County. I remember in, in your poll attachment case having the CEO of Washington EMC on the witness stand, and I just jokingly asked her how many cheesecake factories were in the territory <laughs> of Washington EMC. I mean, there's nothing even close to no. a cheesecake factory. Casey, there's a lot of impossible impoverished areas in our state. Yeah, I, I will say it's probably to their benefit not to have a cheesecake factory there, but um, that, that's oh, wait a second. A t- I love the cheesecake <laughs> factory, the, the country salad and the chicken. Uh, I, I mean, it's just a great restaurant. Well, just a minute left here. I, I want to keep Jeff over and continue to talk about what's happening in these in these EMC territories. Uh, I mean, electrification of America, probably the greatest single thing that happened, Casey, in the last century. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the thing that I love about the EMCs and, and, you know, Jeff, you alluded to it, Tim, you've alluded to it as well, is that they're owned by their members, they're owned by their customers, and that makes a difference. Hey, we're going to bring Jeff back. We're going to talk about the structure of the EMCs, what's magical about that, why they are so 
committed to serving each and every member. We're going to talk about the growth of green energy and why that's happened, kind of the evolution of it within EMCs. This is Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. We'll be right back with Jeff Pratt of Green Power EMC. Energy Matters would like to thank GasSouth for its support of the show. GasSouth has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per-therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. GasSouth, the difference is good. GasSouth believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. GasSouth. The difference is good. Tim Eccles, host of Energy Matters, here with Jeff Pratt of Green Power EMC. Jeff, more and more EMCs are offering solar to their members, and you're seeing it grow like crazy across rural Georgia. Tim, you're right. Co-ops in Georgia are doing a great job of deploying solar across the state. In fact, they're leaders in the country with respect to engaging customers and deploying large-scale solar to benefit all their members. Hey, contact your EMC and ask them about their solar energy policy, or just Google Green Power EMC. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AMLAW 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, this is Casey Boyce. Welcome back to Energy Matters. You are listening to myself, Commissioner Tim Eccles, and our guest today, Jeff Pratt from Green Power EMC. And before the break, we were talking about how the structure of EMCs being owned by their members allow for some magical things to happen. So, Jeff, in this segment, I want to talk about the magic. Let's let's talk about Green Power EMC and what you have done over the years in helping the state's EMC get green power solar energy for their customers. So where do we start with this? So uh, it's maybe first uh, good to know that Green Power EMC is among uh, was really the first utility renewable energy program in the state of Georgia. And it's been the largest one uh, a program of its kind since and for the over 20 years. Uh, just recently, in the past five years or so, the utilities in the state, George Power, has really taken uh, the the uh, renewable engagement to heart and really worked hard on it. But uh, early on, we uh, were fully engaged with renewable energy back as early as 2002, 2001. Wow. And what was it about, you know, were your, your customers, were they demanding that you start looking at this? So, like, how did that kick off? So... We had a few visionary CEOs of these co-ops that said, we, it's important that we start helping our customers understand what renewable energy might be and establish uh, an education program in that area so that we don't get behind but stay present and engaging with our members for things that are going to happen in the near future. Jeff, you guys put solar on a number of schools in 2005. I didn't even get to the commission until 2010, sworn in in 11. I mean, that was 
five years before I did the Solar Express. What was the impetus behind doing something with schools? Co-ops are very community-minded. Their leaders live in the communities they serve. Their board of directors is from the community and our customers. And, and all the customers are therefore ratepayers and 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 they own the co-op. So those local communities, school is really the nexus of rural communities. And we wanted to try and do a good job of creating uh, education programs and solar energy seemed like the place to be in 2005 we put in 35 school one kilowatt arrays which was unheard of at the time so tim jeff i was up recently at uh, the lumpkin county high school and out front they've got a small wind turbine um, and i happened to notice the green power emc logo there so our, you know this little installation probably isn't generating a whole lot of power uh, or energy but it sounds like it's part of how you engage the students at these schools. Is that is that kind of the thought there? It's exactly right. Where best to get people to understand how renewable energy might impact them than starting at an age when, uh, when, when they're formative and thinking about the future. It's hard to get adults' attention these days. Media is tough, but and kids is a place to do it. If solar's hidden up on a roof, Casey, where nobody can see it and there's no monitor showing the progress, it kind of is out of sight, out of mind. And yeah. so there is value, I think, for kids to be able to see how this stuff works, whether it's a wind turbine not spinning, you know, which might tell you, wait a second, we don't have enough wind here, or solar panels that are producing like wild and doing great. And there's there's nothing wrong with this demonstration and real life anecdotal experience to help you understand. Absolutely. Well, and, and you know, to your point about, you know, getting the attention of kids, it's really interesting because, you know, in, in the city of Decatur, the kids are all over energy. And, you know, when I was growing up, that way, that wasn't a thing, right? Mm-hmm. But the kids get it that where we get our energy from is important. Um, and it's important that we look for cleaner, you know, non-CO2 emitting sources like solar to help address this big issue that they all know is in front of them, that being climate change. I'm very committed to a very diverse power grid. And, you know, I... Not only do I have a couple of electric cars, but I have an F-150 that runs on natural gas and been promoting renewable natural gas, in particular, just recently talking with one of the largest cities in Georgia about the fact that they're flaring natural gas at their landfill. They already have an anaerobic digester. They're just flaring that that gas. And I was uh, appealing to the mayor of this particular community the other day saying, you know what, this renewable natural gas is worth a lot. It has a lot of environmental attributes. In fact, companies are using it to go carbon negative. Companies like Facebook are asking for it. Companies like Microsoft, they want to run their generators on this type of gas. I mean, the EMCs are very committed to both solar, clean energy, and a very diverse fuel mix, right? You're exactly right, Tim. And you bring up renewable natural gas and uh, and landfill gas, particularly those were the first projects that green power cut their teeth on back Hmm. in 2001 in fact we uh, purchased and energy from those facilities electricity from those from about half of all the landfill gas that was being harnessed back in that time and uh, they still remain in our portfolio so we we built on those and we were now we're adding the new economic resources like solar that are coming to the table but we cannot accomplish the climate challenges we have without keeping all the tools on the table Casey, you know you don't want to get me fired up talking about natural gas, but we know that fugitive methane 
is 25 times more potent than CO2. I mean, yep. everybody's on the CO2 bandwagon. Yep. Casey, I never hear anyone talking about the dangers of methane. And the fact of the matter is we've got a lot of animals out there, whether they're chickens or dairy cows or horses or pigs. And this manure uh, emits methane. And if we can capture that methane, and clean it and put it in the pipeline, there's a great value proposition, particularly from states like California, to be able to pay 10 times the value of of regular natural gas. Uh, Why do you think methane is so hidden to people and, and it's dangerous? Well, I mean, I think in the the conversation around climate change, a lot of it is around carbon, right? And so people think, oh, CO2, um, which absolutely is an issue, right? But there are a lot of other things. It's not just methane. There are refrigerants as well that cause climate change, that trap heat from the sun. We know this scientifically, right? Um, The thing about methane is that it is much more potent than carbon dioxide. It also goes away quite a bit faster than carbon dioxide in terms of its warming potential. So short term, methane's a big deal. And so doing what you talked about, capturing this methane from landfills, from animal waste um, and using it in a productive way, you know, whether that's turning it into fertilizer or burning it um, in, you know, a clean, uh, uh, you know, combustion process, you know, all of that is to our benefit. um, And it, it really is sort of we need to be thinking broadly about where those levers are. Jeff, are you having citizens that you talk with, members of EMCs, uh, EMC directors, start to talk about renewable gas? Is this is this a, a conversation? I know not all of them sell gas, but as you said, you can actually generate electricity with it. Uh, yes, a few are uh, talking about it, and it's becoming more and more mainstream because, you know, we're not going to get away from the natural gas business, and, and we need to find ways to marry technologies and weave technology from electricity to natural gas to agriculture as you said in biomethane type of engagements and all the way to electric vehicles like your uh, f-150 we need to thread these pieces together because if we keep them in silos then we will not ever be able to capture the synergies between the different entities that are uh that give us the ability to capture these carbon issues. Well said. Casey, we've had Andrew Saunders on the show a lot. We know he has an undergrad in forestry and a master's in forestry. We know that when we harvest trees to make your paper towels and and my grandson's diaper fluff and and toilet paper, that as those as those crews go in there, they chop the limbs off those trees. They chop the tops off those trees. And the little scrawny, skinny trees, they don't get put on the truck. They lay in the field. And Casey, guess what happens to that wood as it lays there for six months, a year, two years? Uh, it guess. becomes petrified. Yeah. No, no, it doesn't <laughs> become petrified. Uh, Casey, it becomes methane. <laughs> it becomes methane. And th- there is there is value and sending a chipping crew in there after that logging crew finishes, chipping that up and taking that to a boiler and destroying it. I mean, the best thing we can right, do this to is methane, biomass, right? Yes. Yeah. The best thing we can do to methane is destroy it, not let it go up in the atmosphere. And this is what I don't get, Casey. This is why I do not understand why so many of my environmental friends do not see the value of picking up this material and taking it to a Procter and Gamble or a Graphic Packaging or a Westrock or some other place and putting it in a boiler and 
destroying it and getting something of value out of it, namely steam and electricity. Yeah, I, I mean, Jeff hit the nail on the head, right? It's about looking at all of these threads here and particularly in the environmental community. Um, you know, I, I have found that there are some dogmas, right? And so part of what I would challenge listeners to do, especially those that consider themselves environmentalists, is to, you know, kind of broaden their perspective on things and understand how these threads tie together. Everything that we do, whether it's the solar that you guys are installing or whether it's, you know, leaving these trees, small trees that aren't going to the, uh, the processing plants out in the fields, has an environmental impact. And understanding how those things play together is really important. Jeff, let me ask you, as you guys have uh, have cleared fields in Hazelhurst, Georgia, or whatever you've done, have you gotten have you gotten pushback from people about those trees? It, yes, we uh, we do over more and more. Uh, even solar energy, which is such a friendly, environmentally friendly f- facility, we're getting pushback. Not in my backyard. And listen, in in the energy business, whatever part you're in. There is no free lunch. There are costs to energy no matter where you're at, but we've got to find the ones that are least costly, the least impactful. Hey, when we come back, we're going to bring Jeff back, continue to talk about the evolution of green energy within the EMCs. I'm going to tell you my story with Jackson EMC. I'm a member and putting solar uh, on my home and just how friendly they have been to helping not just me, but other members within our territory of getting Uh, getting solar on their homes. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. I've got Jeff Pratt and Casey Boyce in studio. We'll be back in just a minute. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. Reducing pollution from the transportation industry is an important goal, and few alternative vehicle fuels offer the distinct advantages of compressed natural gas. I myself drive an F-150 C&G pickup. Marlin Compression, part of Marlin Gas Services, is helping to usher in this clean energy future to the Port of Savannah, too. Not only is Marlin Compression a trusted provider of CNG for fleet fueling, they are also working with Port Fueling Center on a state-of-the-art CNG truck fueling facility. Learn more about the distinct economic and environmental advantages of using natural gas for trucking fleets of all sizes and explore all of Marlin services by visiting marlincompression.com. That's marlincompression.com. Calculate your savings today. Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters with my host, Casey Boyce. Casey, how's it going? That's great. This is a fantastic history of Georgia's real leadership in energy. 
There are so many EMCs in our state, and folks maybe that live in Atlanta or something, they may go, what's an EMC? I mean, it's a it's an electrical membership cooperative. It is, Jeff, it's a nonprofit organization. It is. It's owned by the the entity, the customers that actually get the service from the from the uh, co-op. So they own and they regulate the business uh, as a unit, as an entity that uh, really has a lot of value. Casey, you sit on the board of a nonprofit. I have a master's in nonprofit organizations from uh, our beloved University of Georgia. I, I myself created a nonprofit. Nonprofits are very different than for-profit companies. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, mon- nonprofits, now there's a misconception, right, that they aren't actually businesses, that they're just out to do good. But nonprofits actually have to run a sound business in order to do what they do. But they're there not just to make a profit, but to have some sort of a mission impact, right? Whether it's, you know, civic engagement uh, in, in the case of uh, the, the nonprofit that you work with, or whether it's, um, you know, in the case of EMCs serving their customers with electricity. Uh, so there's a mission component to it, right? I see this all the time as I am working with these EMCs on this uh, broadband expansion, because what I'm hearing from these EMCs is I travel around the state and see these partnerships that these EMCs are doing to, to bring service to unserved customers is they're saying we want all of our members to be able to experience this they're very determined to provide service to each and every one you're exactly right it's it's we it comes from a culture that uh, there's no one member that deserves services better than another that they are all owners of the cooperative itself so we don't want to just serve the most densely populated areas that where you can make the most money be money but we want to make sure that all of the members no matter where they at have an opportunity to engage Casey I've seen this with the phone cooperatives that we have that are out in the middle of nowhere Georgia mm-hmm. but guess what they have they have fiber to the home, not just to the street, but yeah. to the home. And they so the very best internet stuff that we have out there is coming out of a you know out of a nonprofit cooperative. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in this. I wish we could go back and and maybe even change the way we do things in our state. But it's impossible, you know, to put the genie back in the bottle, so to speak. But there's a lot of value with the way that the EMCs operate. Absolutely. And, and we started in the last segment talking about the history of green power EMC back in the early 2000s with renewable natural gas and putting solar on on schools and really being you know, the first power company to, to kind of start doing these things at scale, um, which is a very, it's a testament to that, right, Tim? So, you know, Jeff, maybe you could kind of take us through the next stage of evolution. Where did you go from, you know, putting solar on schools? What, what was next for Green Power EMC? So next was uh, about 2010, and we're sitting here in Athens, and uh, one of the first commercial solar installations uh, for a utility was in Athens at a warehouse where we installed about 100 kilowatts. 100 kilowatts is about what you put on 10 homes today. Mm-hmm. So it was large at the time, but it pales in comparison where, to where we became in five years after that. And I imagine that was pretty expensive at that time. Very expensive. Uh, I don't want to even tell you what we were paying for the energy out of that facility. Uh, but we did it because it was good research and good to learn what we thought we would need to do five years in, uh, later in 2015. 
Yeah, and then you and I hopped on that Solar Express I did in 2011. And uh, in 2012 uh, at the commission, we essentially did what we called the large-scale solar program at the time. It was only 50 megawatts. It was, it was, it was really tiny now. But in 2012, it seemed big. In 13, we, we essentially told Georgia Power, you're going to do 525 megawatts. And you guys were watching this, uh, you know, over there cheering, I'm, I'm sure, to a certain extent. And then in 2015, you guys did your first big project. You're exactly right. In fact, I'll have to give the commission a lot of credit here in establishing a market of competitiveness for solar energy in Georgia that just would not have been possible without those early actions by the uh, by the commission. Uh, it led us to a point where in 2015, we commissioned a uh, 200 megawatt site. And it was, I thought it was going to be a, about half that size, but our cooperatives got behind it and got excited about it. And uh, we ended up doubling the size and it became the first project of its scale and size in Hazelhurst, Georgia. And about that time, Walton EMC, just down the street from where we're at today, created their cooperative solar project, which was really a community solar project that people could subscribe to. They sold, they sold out phase one, sold out phase two, and then sold out phase three. You're exactly right we uh, worked with them as green power emc they were wildly successful in that project and we now have 15 co-ops that are doing the same thing and we probably have 5,000 customers that are a part of that statewide where customers who maybe rent a home or don't uh, don't have the ability to put solar on the rooftop can participate in a virtual program that gives them the same benefits at lower cost. Casey, I, I haven't been able to get Georgia Power customers to see the value in this. I mean, I, I motioned in some community solar projects and mm-hmm. folks are just skeptical. I mean, yeah, it, the, the deal is not quite as good as what Walton did. Walton built it on their own land. Uh, but, uh, but folks, when they subscribe to a community solar project, it triggers the building and investment in solar. Yeah, and we've seen a lot of utilities nationally do those kinds of projects and they tend to be pretty popular, but you know, as you noted, a lot of the kind of the customer adoption relies on how is it priced? How is it structured? What do you get out of it? How much do you pay? That kind of thing. Um, and, you know, I think one of the one of the challenges is people have kept hearing, although we know that this has changed a little bit recently with some of the supply shocks, that solars keep getting cheaper, cheaper, cheaper. And some of the, the programs nationally and, and some of the programs here in Georgia are priced at a premium. And so customers, there's a little bit of dissonance there saying, well, hey, I keep hearing that this is cheaper, but yet you're charging me more for it. Um, and so, you know, that can be a challenge for utilities that are doing these kinds of community solar projects. But it's a great uh, way of getting into solar if, as Jeff said, you can't do it on your roof. Casey mentioned the supply chain and some of the price constraints that we're seeing now. Are y'all seeing or hearing about that in Green Power EMC? Absolutely. You know, I think if things continue as they are today, which we believe there will be some relaxing of these constraints going forward, that, but if, if it doesn't happen, then there's no place for solar prices to go but up. And that is the first time we've heard that in 10 years. So uh, I, I think it'll still be a bargain. But uh, we have a lot of challenges, both uh, politically and uh, in the supply chain. Uh, COVID is a, some of the nexus of that, but there are other financial factors worldwide as well. As we think about the evolution of what's happened in Green Power EMC, he mentioned the, the school project in 05. He mentioned the commercial project he did here in Athens in 10. 
uh, the, the the their first large project in 15. But in 20, Jeff, y'all did a substantial project. Yes, in 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 two, uh, 2020. By that time, this last year, we had about 600 megawatts of solar installed and operational. So that is, I can't do the math, Casey, but from 20 megawatts in 2015 to 600 megawatts, yeah, which is about 6,000 acres, yeah. huge amount. So it was a, but that was a probably five large scale projects, Tim, with about 6,000 acres. Just to put it in perspective for folks, you're hearing us talk about megawatts, a, a super Walmart a super target uses about a megawatt. Jeff's talking about 600. You're talking about enough solar to run 600 super targets. So it is substantial, Casey, when we begin to think about how much energy these panels generate. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, another way of putting it in perspective is that that is about the same amount of energy as is generated from a single coal-fired or nuclear unit, um, you know, give or take, right? It's in that range. Um, So it is a pretty substantial amount of solar. Let's think about Jackson Lake, uh, the Lloyd Shoals Dam that was built just uh, about 30 miles up from Macon, finished uh, around 1918. It was a, a mammoth project at the time. It was the, the tallest dam uh, in the U.S. at the time, but only 18 megawatts. So think about what Jeff is saying here, that 600 megawatts of solar they had completed by 2020, and, and damming up a river uh, and flooding an area uh, like we did with that, that first big lake down there uh, south of Atlanta, that only generated 18 megawatts of power. Solar has enormous multiplication potential. You're exactly right. It is amazing how more productive it is today than it was just a few years ago and how much better we are at getting more energy out of a square foot of property. Uh, and and by the way, Tim, since that time with Jackson Lake, and we, we have uh, the energy usage has gone up much more in homes as well. So we're just keeping pace. Yeah, Casey, we didn't have air conditions in 1918. Right. As a matter of fact, <laughs> that lake provided the power for Macon, Griffin, and Forsyth, Georgia, which put them on the map for manufacturing. Without that dam, that measly little 18 megawatts, they would not have become the 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 industry that they that they became at the time. They're no longer there as king of Georgia, but it it was substantial at the time. Well, shoot. Tim, I can go home now. I just learned something. That's great. (laughs) Hey, stick around. We hope you're learning something. We've got Jeff Pratt in studio with us for Green Power EMC. I'm Tim Eccles, Casey Boyce, my co-host. When we come back, one more segment with Jeff as we wrap up our discussion about the evolution of green power within our rural cooperatives. I'm a member of Jackson EMC. I'm going to tell you about my solar project in a few minutes. Stick around. You're listening to Energy Matters. Hey, Tim Eccles here, host of Energy Matters. Solar's growing like crazy in Georgia, and I certainly say buyer beware. It's great to have companies like Creative Solar USA on the job. Russ, why do folks need to reach out to you? Tim, we're going on to our 14th year, and we have the best staff and most experienced installers in the state to get the job done right. You can find out more at creativesolarusa.com or call 770-485-7438. That's creativesolarusa.com. 
The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. This segment of Energy Matters is sponsored by Hall Booth Smith. This law firm works with over 88 Fortune 500 companies, and they have offices from Brunswick to Athens, Tifton to Columbus, and of course, Atlanta. We'd like to thank Hall Booth Smith for the great work they do with school boards, hospitals, cities, and counties all over our state. See more at HallBoothSmith.com. Hey, Tim Eccles back. One more segment with our friend Jeff Pratt, Green Power EMC. Casey, you're learning a little bit today about rural cooperatives? I, I'm learning a whole lot, not just about rural cooperatives, which I, I have known about for a long time and, and love and have a lot of respect, but about the energy history of the state of Georgia and really uh, not just how we have historically been a leader, but how energy, as you mentioned in our last segment, Tim, has been a key for economic development in uh, really across Georgia. Jeff, let's talk about why the cooperatives came into existence. You mentioned FDR coming to Warm Springs for medical treatment there for uh, for his uh, condition and seeing, you know, that poor part of, of our state and wanting to bring about a change. But let's think about rural life. They were the last to get postal service, right? They were the last to get telephone service. That's right. They were the last to get electrical service service. It's just the rural areas really are more difficult to serve. Well, they are. I mean, just think about uh, if a home is only three houses per mile of line, where Atlanta is probably 15 houses per mile of electric line to service. So it costs a lot more to provide service to these rural areas, but it's no less essential because, you know, we've been an agrarian economy for most of Georgia's history, and, and, uh, but just electrifying those farms creates productivity. So Let's talk about what's happening on some of these solar arrays. Casey, you've seen these. Uh, maybe, you know, there's a fence around it. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we saw it at Jekyll Island, a fence around their landfill. Uh, they've got some flowers growing there because they have pollinators on that particular one. But I've seen some fairly creative things going on with with sheep and other animals jeff are you seeing agriculture kind of come back inside that fence we are in fact uh, uh, the one of our partners is silicon ranch and what they have done is is work with the farmer in georgia white oak pastures his name's will harris he's really mm-hmm. well known in the state to begin a practice of bringing agriculture back to these sites that used to be peanut farms, corn farms, soybeans. And so we feel bad. I mean, I don't want to take food off of these uh, production off of these sites. So how can we change that? Well, we're bringing sheep back into play on these sites as we move forward. Casey, my own brother grows clover hay uh, and it requires bees and butterflies. Mm -hmm. And he commented to me, uh, as we were driving around looking looking at his field about 
the difficulty of pollinators that pollinators are having. I'm not sure what's causing the decrease in pollinators, but that impacts the quality of his hay. And that hay then is provided to horses and, and cows and other animals. So it is kind of a change. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, what, Jeff, you're talking about here makes a lot of sense, right, is that you've got this land that you've got solar panels on, but you can still grow some things there, whether it's uh, plants that bring pollinators in. We've poll- uh, we planted a small pollinator garden in our front yard in Decatur, and boy, the, the bees are always buzzing there, and the butterflies are that. I mean, it's great to see, right? Um, so providing that habitat is really important. You've got these large sites that are otherwise undisturbed, right, because they're just they're sitting there soaking up the sun. Well, they are, but we have to manage the vegetation because mm-hmm. if you've ever seen a pasture in South Georgia and, and the much rain as we get, it becomes mm-hmm. overrun in no time. And there's one thing that uh, that is not good for solar, and that's shade. Shade and solar don't get along, solar power generation. I, I might say two things. Okay. Uh, this is based on uh, some pictures that I've seen, and it relates directly to vegetation management. The other thing that's not good for solar is goats, because I understand huh. they like to climb up on top of the panels. Is that, that true? That's right. And to manage that, uh, to, we don't use goat, goats. We cannot. They will eat the modules. They'll eat anything they can touch and climb on. But what we do use is sheep. Sheep um, is a very marketable crop. Most of the sheep, uh, the food product you get from sheep in the United States is imported from New Zealand, one of the most distant parts uh, of the world to bring it here. And we have, we'll have over 7,000 sheep in just a few years in our solar farms in Georgia growing uh, regenerative food. Yeah, Casey, I don't even know why God created goats. I don't even know why they're out there because because we just how we just heard how devastating they are to a solar array. I myself had some goats growing up and those things would eat the clothes off the line because we were solar drying our clothes back in those days. Mm-hmm. They they would the billy goat that we had would would run you down. Uh, I mean, it just mean, just you, plain you're mean. You're saying they're ornery critters. They are ornery critters. Hey, the Bible talks a lot about sheep and goats and goats eh, goats aren't so so kindly talked about in the bible yeah, <laughs> yeah. so okay so we, we we've heard about sheep casey what's the most creative thing you've heard about an agricultural use of a solar array oh boy put me on the spot here um I don't know that this is the most creative use, but I, I really like uh, the work that the Ray is doing with the, the pollinator garden on their solar array that they're doing down off of 85. Yeah, let me let me tell you about that. I, I did the amendment to get that thing built. It's just a megawatt. So think about five acres. It's on the inside of exit 14. And for us to do pollinators, this was a self-build by Georgia Power. For us to do pollinators instead of turf grass, it was an extra 50000 dollars for one uh one megawatt of solar wow. now the theory on this was and i wanted the power company to do this on their own array to get some personal experience uh, to, to look at the maintenance of it over time right right is it, you don't have is to it, cut. yeah how much less mowing are you doing the root system of these pollinators and hey look i'm not a botany major i mean i spent time on north campus you know reading shakespeare so what do i know about root structure but the root structure is deeper 
on the pollinators. The turf grass can, can die easier, so very shallow. What have you heard about it, Casey? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I've done a little bit of dabbling in this, and, and a lot of these native plants, including pollinators, do have that deeper root structure and helps regenerate the soil. So not to say that you want to take a you know one megawatt solar array plant uh, pollinators and then come back and you know till it for uh, you know whatever you're going to grow there but that kind of regenerative agriculture can be really important and, and my understanding too is that and and i'm a political science major look so i'm i'm well outside of my my area of expertise here but my understanding is that ruminants like sheep they also help with deepening the root structure and, and helping to regenerate that soil they, they do in fact uh, we're in process of measuring the carbon sequestration on these solar farms because of uh, using wild grass that includes pollinator grasses, sheep, which compacts that grass into the soil. They also um, uh, uh, leave some waste behind, and that waste is a part of that po- whole regenerative process. And then we bring chickens and then goats. Mm-hmm. I mean, not goats, sorry, ducks in after that ducks. to, to right. continue that process of impacting the soil with nutrients that w- we're measuring the effect of how much carbon can we sequester under solar projects, not just producing carbon-free energy? Casey, the most creative thing I've seen is down in Savannah off East President as you're heading towards Tybee. Uh, my friend Reed Delaney on an old brownfill, an old landfill, essentially did uh, a, a solar project there. It's about five megawatts, hmm. and uh, and they've got bees and pollinators so they hired a beekeeper they've got uh, look like about 50 bee boxes there and you can actually buy honey coming off of this solar array how cool that's is that? really cool yeah is that available online if if i wanted to get some or our listeners wanted to get some or do they have to go down to savannah to pick i think that you're up? gonna have to go down there because they don't have a super high amount of quantity uh, but i'm really excited about the idea of taking something jeff like an old landfill mm-hmm. and putting solar on it and Casey, we saw this at Jekyll Island. They're not permeating that landfill. They're using ballast to set those things down. That's right. Yeah. And DeKalb County does something similar with their old landfill. So, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of ways of, you know, as you, it's funny, Jeff, as you were talking, I'm kind of thinking about like crop rotation and cover crops that maybe, you know, obviously it's longer term, but solar becomes the next cover crop, right? You know, in Europe, they're talking about uh, using solar panels as shade for for shading of certain plants in nurseries. So huh. there's, there's all kinds of things that are emerging. Uh, they aren't uh, quite cost effective yet, but here we go. We're going to make it work. Hey, cool. in our last couple of minutes, I want to ask you guys about the future. Uh, maybe, I mean, this show talks a lot about innovation and the the innovation that you're really looking forward to. Maybe it's not quite ripe yet uh, and, and you're seeing some R&D happen. Casey, let me start with you. What innovative technology as it relates to sustainability or energy are you looking forward to? So I don't know that it's a specific technology, but I think going back to one of the conversations we had earlier in the show, this idea of tying threads together, right? So if you look at solar, you know, the, the current price increase is notwithstanding. It's gotten really cheap and in many places cheaper than a lot of other energy. And what can we use that for? for besides generation? Can we use it to produce hydrogen? Can we use it to store uh, in batteries? So it, it's really about those threads. Yeah, Jeff, how about you? You know, very similar. I would, I would draw on that same thing, except I would say 
tying together these disparate technologies that we've heretofore kept in very siloed sort of engagements, uh, coal, natural gas, just to prior to the grid. But let's talk about batteries in the home. Let's talk mm-hmm. about cars and electric cars, putting these pieces together. What we're talking about here is bringing controls and software to the energy space and tying little projects and big ones together so they sing in harmony and 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 uh, create value across the whole chain you know for me you know these these buses these larger vehicles that have the larger batteries being able to like a school system for example being able to to charge that battery on cheap power overnight and especially during the summer when the buses aren't even being used, and Casey being able to then dump that battery between two and seven when yeah. when the price is really high. And I mean, think about a, a, a school system that might own 100 buses or 150 buses. That's substantial. It is, yeah. And we've seen utilities in other parts of the country, in New York and Virginia, start to do that. It's a great benefit. Well, Jeff, thanks for being on Energy Matters today, for sponsoring our show, for the great work that you're doing with our member EMCs. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, look forward to uh, working with you in the future. Casey, as always, thanks for being the co-host. Another great show in the books. Thanks. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters, and energy does matter. Have a great weekend, everyone. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com, solarsunworld.com. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your one, two, or five dollar checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you.